Hi, and welcome back to the Legal Diaries podcast. I'm your host, Danny. I'm a recently qualified barrister who works in human rights and public interest law, and I also do some consultancy on the side, as well as running the website www.legaldiaries.ie and the Instagram page at legaldiaries.ie. On the podcast, we dive deep into all things health, fitness, mindset, studying, habits, dating, and career, and probably so much more. I will aim to bring you the tools and actionable steps to smash your goals, inspire you to take bold action, and above all else, put yourself first. Hello and happy Saturday. I hope you're all keeping safe and well at this time. This podcast episode is of particular importance because it is being released on 10th of October. For those of you who are not familiar, the 10th of October marks World Mental Health Day. The overall objective of the day is to raise awareness of mental health issues around the world and to mobilise efforts in support of mental health. This day holds a special place for me as personally I've had a long and challenging journey with my own mental health. I've suffered from anxiety and depression since my teen years. I'm so delighted to be joined by Elle from Elle the Law Student to speak about our mental health journeys. Elle recently opened up about her struggles in an empowering YouTube video. I'll be sure to link it in the show notes below. The aim of this podcast is for Elle and I to speak about and share our journeys in the hopes that it makes others' journeys that little bit easier to navigate. On paper, Elle and I, if we stood before you or you checked out our social media channels, you might not guess it. You might not know that all of these underlying issues lay beneath. You see, mental health is often invisible to the outside world. So don't be afraid to reach out to someone if you are struggling or check in on that person you may think is having a hard time. The current health pandemic has struck a chord with us all, with many people struggling with their mental health, feelings of isolation and uncertainty. 2020 has proved to be a tough year for us all, so that is why having these conversations is even more pertinent at this time. I'm very aware that this podcast touches on some very sensitive and triggering topics for many, so I've included a link to a page on my website in the show notes where I've listed a multitude of resources, in particular for those whom are based in Ireland and the UK. Thank you for listening. Hello everyone and welcome back to another Legal Diaries podcast. Today I am going to be joined by the wonderful Elle. So I will hand over so she can introduce herself. Um, Yeah, so I'm Elle. I'm a third year law student at the University of Oxford um, and I'm originally from Sheffield in the UK. Um, I set up Elle the Law Student, which is a YouTube channel and Instagram page and all that sort of thing um, about a year ago now to sort of help to promote access um, and help to help young people to understand exactly what it was like to study law at university and to also encourage students to apply to highly selective universities. 
very fast so um obviously so you recently on your youtube channel shared this very kind of open video about your academic struggles and your struggles with your mental health just before we kind of dive into that topic what kind of brought you to film that video because obviously it was so open it's a and i'd i'd um implore everyone to watch it because it's a good kind of 40 minutes where you go through everything and you're very open and honest but what sparked that kind of I need to record this and talk about this? I think there are a couple of things. So I think, um, I think first of all, I, I get so many messages all the time. Like, how do you deal with the Oxford workload? Like, how did you get to where you are? Like that's, you know, you must've just got perfect grades at A-levels. Like everything must've just been really easy and I could never be like you and all this kind of thing. Um, and that's just not true. Like, obviously, you know you put your successes online like you put your you put your best days your best angles your best grades you know you put that online because um why wouldn't you you know um but i thought actually i can't keep making videos about oxford and being a student and saying everything here is absolutely wonderful and i've enjoyed every second of my time here because i don't want anybody to ever watch those videos and think oh, I'm not enjoying every second of my time here and I've just got an essay that's got a low mark and, um, you know, no one else feels like that because I think at the sort of when I've been struggling, I've always felt that the problem was with me and, and no one else was feeling like that. So I thought, yeah, I, I just want to make people aware that it's okay to feel as you are feeling um, whenever things, you know, whenever things get you down. Um, and also my, my boyfriend, Cade, um, was really, really supportive uh, when I came to university and sort of was having quite a few problems with my mental health. And he was really encouraging. He sort of said that he thought it would be sort of sharing it would really help other people to realise that it's absolutely fine to hit speed bumps um, and it's totally normal for things not to be completely fine and it's okay to not come to university and have the time of your life. Because um, I've had some great times at university but I've also had some really not great times and that's okay but at the time I didn't realise that was okay. Yeah, no definitely and I think it's a really kind of not very spoken about, especially when you're, you're seeing as such a high achiever because obviously you go to a well-renowned world a world-renowned university and you obviously achieved great grades to get in there and you worked very hard so I think it's it, it sounds really bad of me but it, it often feels like the more successful you are and the more good you do in life the more presumed you are to kind of be okay because I get similar messages as well where I'm like they're like, oh, how did you juggle doing this and this and how, and like, oh, like you just make it, how do you do this? And you just make it seem so effortless and stuff. And I was just like, but you compromise your mental health and you compromise your sanity and your well-being, And like, it's not, it's, it's not okay. And I think it's a conversation um, we need to kind of have more about because especially I, so when I was, when I was in 2015-2016 so I served as university as a on the university student union so I was a, I was elected as education officer and I absolutely adored the job but 
dependent on what kind of committee you sat on at the university, a lot of universities are like, well, you came here for an education. You didn't come here for well-being and mental health supports. So, I, and I think we kind of need to break that perception down because it it is your home and you live at the university. Like you've literally just moved back into university at the time of COVID and it is the community around you. So I think there needs to be more kind of community supports there. Um, but yeah, no, if we, if we kind of take it back then, um, so if you don't mind kind of sharing a little bit about your mental health journey, so kind of where it began and maybe where you are kind of at, at now. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I sort of first started having really quite bad anxiety and panic attacks when I was about 12 or 13. So I was pretty young. Um, and I, I think once I had to leave a classroom because of one of these panic attacks and like a teacher found me. And so, you know, they were fantastic and they were like, okay, well, we'll get you some help and, and that kind of thing. Um, and so I went to a school, uh, like my school's, I can't even remember the kind of title that they give them, but kind of like a counsellor person who, who worked at the school. Um, and after a while, um, like a few weeks, they've kind of going to see this lady each week. She was, who was lovely and super helpful. Um, she said, I, you know, I, I think this is probably a bit beyond our reach. Um, and so she suggested going to the doctors. And so I went to the doctors who, gave me some medication but said that there was no like counseling options because um the child adolescent mental health services over here um are so kind of crowded um and he said that they wouldn't touch me with a barge pole those are his exact words um and he just he 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 said to me um, that i needed to calm down because otherwise i'd be a 40 year old crazy woman running around on antidepressants which was a fantastic thing to hear age like 12 13 um you've been told by one service that you're too much for them exactly and then exactly. you'll you're being told by another service that you're just not crazy enough but if exactly. you continue the way you will you, you'll you'll be able to access our service because you'll be a 40 year old <laughs> yeah. crazy woman Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, I definitely kind of felt a bit stuck. Um, at that point, I didn't really know what to do. I still kept speaking to people in school. But one of, one of my kind of biggest things was I was always such a perfectionist. Um, and my teachers loved that. You know, my teachers, obviously, it meant that all of my homework was submitted like super early. I put in loads of effort. I put every hour of the day into my schoolwork um, and it, you know, it paid off. I ended up getting good grades and that realistically, that's why I'm here. Um, you know, I'm not one of these people who can not revise for an exam and get amazing marks. Um, so, it, you know, and, and so I was kind of just being consistently encouraged um, and that wasn't the teachers fault at all like a lot of them were just unaware of the things that were going on um, or didn't quite understand it um, and there were some teachers who were fantastic and did tell me to sort of stop working but that's definitely sort of the minority view um, and I think at school as well there's always this perpetual sort of message that's coming across like you need to work hard um, because otherwise you'll fail your exams um, which, you know, I think some students need to hear for motivation, but it really kind of had quite a detrimental impact on me. Yeah. 
and then by the time I got to my A-level exams, um, I think looking back on it now, I think I was just completely burnt out. I did so much work leading up to them that that exam period was just hellish. Um, you know, I wasn't sleeping at night and I came out of every exam thinking I'd failed and it was, yeah, it wasn't pleasant at all. And then I kind of, I um, ended up on results day not getting the grades that I needed for Oxford. Um, but I actually had got the grades I needed for Oxford. It was just that one of my papers had been marked really funnily. And so after a remark, it kind of gave me the required grades. But even so at the time, I thought that I hadn't got in, um, but the university still accepted me anyway, which was amazing. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think from that kind of point onwards, I almost felt as though I had to prove myself even more because they'd kind of made an exception for me and they'd let me come to university despite not having those grades. Um, and so I think from that point onwards, I again, put so much pressure on myself. Um, and then, kind of putting a long story short, I got to about halfway through my first term here and I was just not really, not really eating, not really sleeping. I was just working. I wasn't doing anything else apart from doing my work. And, you know, at one point I was kind of like two weeks ahead of where I needed to be in terms of work and essays. And like now, if I'm two days ahead of where I need to be, like that's, <laughs> that's pretty amazing. Um, so I've, I, can't even comprehend how many hours I was putting in um but yeah and it, it got to the point where I just thought that I was gonna have to leave um so I'd spoken to the welfare officer and the idea was that I was not going to come back after Christmas I was going to take a year out um you know if things didn't get better kind of after that year out I maybe transfer to another university or something um and then over Christmas um I did go to some counselling that was really really helpful and they sort of were the first person to mention the term OCD and as soon as like that was mentioned it, everything just kind of made sense like I'd never been able to describe to people why I wanted to work so much like I, I'd never been able to to fully convey how that felt but when somebody said to me, you know, is it kind of like an obsession? And I was like, yeah, it absolutely is. Like it's, it's compulsive and I have to do it. Otherwise, terrible things will happen. Um, and so from then on, I think because I kind of knew what it was and we were then therefore able to find different exercises to get around it. And I went back to the doctor, but a different doctor and, and they were absolutely fantastic. They really listened to me and they sort of told me how many options I had. Um, and so I did end up coming back after Christmas. So I was like, well, I'll just come back for a couple of weeks and see, see what that's like. And then sort of a couple of weeks turned into a few more weeks and then a term and then the rest of the year. Um, and then, yeah, things just kind of really did get better and better um, until the point where now I, I do, you know, I'm still definitely a struggle to pull myself away from work at the end of the day. Um, but I am getting there like I will now organize to go out for a meal with my friends or go into the kitchen and have a chat um, and so yeah things have definitely definitely got a lot better um yeah I know that that's that's really thanks for sharing because that that's a really kind of comprehensive overview and if we just go 
back and break it down. So we were just chatting before we started recording about kind of how we feel. So I know that I've struggled with my mental health for, for a number of years. Um, and like a lot of my close family and friends would know, but we just, I feel like we fall into this awkward middle where we are too much for one service, but not enough for another service. So yeah, and like what, when you kind of went back and changed, and I think, I think one thing that really spoke to me from your story is when you went to a different doctor, they had a completely different tune about what's like going on and how you, they can best support you. Um, and that, that is so kind of, like, I don't know how they learn about it and kind of when they go to be a doctor and they study at university because I've had so many diverse um, experiences with doctors. Some are very kind of like yours was being like, well, I don't have a service for you. Here's some medication. Hopefully that will ease whatever's going on with you. Um, and then on the other hand, you have the supportive doctor that said you have these multitude of supports. Um, and I've had both of those parallel experiences quite recently because I was transitioning when I moved kind of home more to my parents' house, I moved back doctors um, and the doctor at home, like usually I feel, especially in Ireland, so because we we won't even get in um, to the difference between the NHS and the HSE because our, our health system is just, <laughs> our, the Irish health system is just, just appalling. But you, if you don't have a medical card in Ireland or a doctor visit card, you pay, like, so say I, I wouldn't have either. So I just pay for every single doctor's visit that I have to go to. So that's about 65 euro. I recently had a phone consultation during COVID with my doctor, my previous doctor, um, and paid then got a call from the accounts department like the next day it was literally a, it was just a renewal of prescription it was a five minute conversation not even five minutes like three minute conversation and I got a call the next day from the accounts department asking me to pay for my phone consultation so I was like oh, okay that's perfect assuming they were doing like a reduced kind of thing because they were just doing phone they weren't doing in-person consultations it still cost me 65 euro for a three minute okay. phone conversation and that's not even getting into then I obviously get the prescription, have to pay for the, the prescription and all that. But yeah, I had. And then so that was a three minute conversation. And that was a very kind of pro medication doctor. And then the doctor that I moved to recently, I've never had such a nice like I spent, I'd say, a good solid 50 minutes in with her just talking about everything and kind of chatting her being like, well we'll look at the other side of it in terms of like without medication and how we can get to that point whereas this doctor is like oh sure if you need it you need it sure look um and yeah it's it's kind of it's so interesting to hear that you've had in a different country you've had the exact same experiences with services um yeah and how so like how did you so if we kind of break it apart so how did you feel being that kind of awkward middle like, how did that kind of affect you as a person? So I think at the time, I I was so young, I didn't really think about the bigger picture or anything. Like, at the time, things, you know, it's never nice to have things like anxiety and panic attacks, but it really wasn't that 
bad you know realistically I've, when you're 12 13 you have schoolwork, but kind of you're not really given those high pressure circumstances and um, because I've worked hard anyway it was you know it, it wasn't particularly difficult for me to do okay at school you know um because you know at that age if you do your homework and you pay attention in lessons like you're generally okay um so I think at the time I didn't really realize the impact that being in that middle ground would have on me um and it's only really kind of as I got older that things just became a bit more frustrating I think for example like when I got to my A-levels and then when I came to university and and really hit kind of the the lowest that I'd been I think in those moments and kind of coming out of those moments what was more frustrating was that I kind of thought well if I'd been given help at sort of 12 13 years old could that have just changed my entire outlook and could that have meant that you know potentially those things still would have happened but I might have been in a better position I might have mm. known who I can go to for help rather than thinking I'm too normal for kind of specialized help but I'm sort of too complicated <laughs> for um the services available at school and that sort of thing um and so yeah. I think kind of since then it's just it's, it's just made me so frustrated mostly because like now um things have been a lot better and I think that in my experience the mental health services available for adults um as it, in um the UK anyway have they're just there's just more available um but I just think you know the fact that we can't have adequate mental health support for children and and young people is just insane because if if we were able to target these problems earlier and we were able to give people the support that they needed it would just it would mean that they were just <laughs> so much more prepared to go out into the world and it would it would mean that we could probably like nip smaller issues in the bud um, and stop yeah. them from developing into something that you can get help for because it's serious enough you know yeah because I think I think the kind of systems are quite similar in the sense that I find them quite um rather than being um preventative they're more reactive so they kind of react to when it gets to your point and when you hit your lowest low when you were in your first year of university then they're like uh, oh shit like we we need to do something here and support this girl because she clearly has something undiagnosed but there, there's something going on here um and I think I just think there's so much we can do with education these days to armor kids with what they need um and I know even like from my own perspective in Ireland um when I was at university yeah there were huge waiting lists for the the kind of services within the university but they were readily accessible but you you have to wait on a on a severe now when I say severe wait waiting list it was really long and the service itself was very underfunded um but from an adult perspective the other side of it um there's I would say being in the middle and um, not even being in the middle but being 
and it, I don't even want to say an income earner because income earners can also access services. I just think there's because you guys obviously have the national health system and everything set up that way, so it's probably more readily accessible for you to kind of gain access to 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 state services. Whereas in Ireland, it's for me being a person who's like employed and all that, I would probably go private, like it's or through health insurance, like it's not a thing and that that really bothers me about the Irish system because if you had more free community-based supports that were like preventative rather than being like reacting so someone getting to a point where they something has developed into more than it should have been so maybe if you had have had an intervention at the age of 12 13 and you were able to recognize those kind of perfectionist traits as something that was OCD you might have been able to more effectively manage them in your first year of university. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's, you know, it's just about surely it's so much better to, to provide that preventative, even from, you know, if you want to cut it back to in terms of from a cost point of view for the state, like it would make so much more sense to be able to rest and I mean, like just some mornings still now when I just cannot drag myself out of the bed, even though I've had eight, nine, ten hours sleep. Yeah. The tiredness just doesn't go away after you're sick. Yeah. And like, what is it that was tired? Like, obviously, like you had cancer at the time, but what was it that was depleting you of energy so much at the time? Like, was it the experience Um, of having it or was it the treatment or? I think it was all the anesthetics. Oh, yeah. It takes 18 months for an anesthetic to leave your body. And I what? had, yeah, and I had two anesthetics quite close together. So yeah, January and one in, Yeah, one in December, one in December and one in February. And um, the operation in February was three hours long. So that was a very, very heavy anesthetic. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I still get some days now where I just haven't got it. And I feel like someone has drained every drop of blood from my body. Like I literally can't walk from the couch to the kitchen some days. That's insane. And how, how has kind of, have you been kind of then extra vigilant and people around you given like COVID and everything? And how, how have you kind of coped with that? Because obviously you were in you have a compromised kind of immune system in the sense that you've just gotten over this, you're getting over like your surgeries and stuff as well. And how, how did like COVID, did it, it heighten your anxiety levels or how, how did you kind of deal with that? Um, I was just super, super careful. Like I, I literally like, so just just myself, my husband living here and my husband would do like the food shopping and things like that. Um, and then like as soon as he came home like wash the hands we were actually washing the food to be honest washing the packets and my mum was doing that because like my my family sort of members of my family would be in like the high risk category so we were coming home and like mom wouldn't let Ant in the door without like spraying it with antibacterial spray yeah. um so yeah. and then I um was just like born in lots of essential oils that would kill airborne bugs in the house um i was dosed up to the nines on um vitamin d vitamin c zinc um selenium and i was 
I, I didn't see any of it. Like, just at, like at the start of lockdown, my sister's turned 21 and I couldn't even go and say, like, go, on, go to their 24th birthday or anything. I was just like, no, I can't risk it. Yeah, it's too much risk, yeah. Yeah, so, um, like, I, I, my boyfriend's, not my boyfriend, <laughs> I don't have a boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Your husband would be like, who's that boyfriend you have? My brother's girlfriend lives around the corner from me. And um, my mom was picking up my brother one day. And they called around to my house. And um, I opened the sitting room window and my mom was like, are you going to let us in? And I was like, I can't. And like, uh, it was terrible. We, I couldn't even let my mom and my brother in. And um, we just had to like open the window an inch and just talk out the window. Yeah. Take the chance. Um, yeah, so that was tough. The first lockdown was tough. I don't find this one as hard because as long as you mask up and wash hands, there's not much more you can do. But I think yeah. the first time around, we didn't know what to expect. Yeah, like it was, it was, we didn't have a kind of dry run previous Whereas like yeah. now it was very kind of new and like do you what's your kind of views do you think we given like because obviously there was like 430 cases or something yesterday do you think they will lock down again or do you think they just won't because of the economy i think the economy is fact anyway to be honest um i'd say we're going into an even bigger recession than we did in 2008 but um I, I I can see more con more counties going into lockdown the way Dublin yeah. and all have, but I can't see them bringing back the whole close every business and yeah two miles or two kilometers away from your household yeah. yeah um that's mad and will you you are you are you going to go back in October or you just haven't decided yet in terms of work or yeah I'm due back on the second of November yeah. You're definitely gonna go back, or you just haven't. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. How, yeah. And I'll how do you love going? Um, it'll be easier for me than like before. When God, when I think back, it was no wonder I got sick. Like I used to, I used to go to work. I used to have to start work like at around half seven to avoid the traffic. So um, I would be up at about quarter to six, and I might have only went to bed at twelve o'clock. Um. Jeez. So yeah. you, were, you had started a business as well at this point. Yeah, so I had I worked long hours in my job. Like I used to go get up early, go to work, um, and I'd leave the house maybe at about maybe half six, quarter to seven, and then I wouldn't get back until half six, seven o'clock at night. And um, and then I would pack orders for the next day and um then i'd bring them to work with me and walk up to the post office on my lunch break and um some nights it meant i wouldn't get to bed until then i'd have to of course go and do the usual things like make your lunch and get your clothes ready and sometimes yeah. it would be 12 half 12 when i'd go to bed and then i'd be back up at quarter to six the next day and i was doing that day in day out so yeah it's no wonder i got sick i wasn't looking after myself um so this time now I have a plan like you know I'm going to because I'll be working from home so I'll have nearly two hours a day back that I won't be commuting anyway yeah 
that's the thing like if so many people were getting like i this week usually our office hours are say half nine to half five or when we were in the office there the official hours they're open but because i'm working from home now and to get the the to be able to do kind of side projects and to get the most out of the evening i've been able to just because i'm up anyway to change my work hours this week from like eight to four or half seven to half three mm. So like you have that flexibility, whereas before, if you had got up at quarter past six, you would have then sat in a car, whereas you could start your day at 7am for work then, probably play through all your work and then have the rest of the evening to yourself, whereas before that would have been time spent commuting essentially. Yeah, like uh, now, like I'll be able to get up at quarter to seven, have a quick shower, grab some breakfast and be at my desk for seven, like I won't know myself. And then, yeah. like, because, you know, it's, you're not going into the office. You don't have to worry about, like, ordering your clothes and putting on your makeup and blow-drying your hair. And so that gives you back a lot of time as well, you know, um, because nobody can see it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and then I, um, so, like, if I start work at 7 and I work until 5 in the evening, um, I can go up to the post office on my lunch break. And then when I finish at 5, I'll get out for a little walk, I'll pack a few orders and I'll get an early night and it'll be a much simpler life. Yeah. And will you, is it just you for the Love Jewels team at the moment or? Yeah, just me. Yeah. So I am all things, (laughs) everything. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, I try to like, um, my mom often offers to help me um, and my sister often offers to help me, but I find like, it's just, it's more work to actually explain some. Yeah, to be like, this is how, because we were talking about that today in work, because I'm possibly getting um, an intern and stuff, um, just to assist, because there's just so much going on at the moment. And uh, we were kind of figuring out tasks that I could hand off. And I was like, mm, it would take 20 minutes to do it myself, probably about an hour to explain how to do it and show them how to do it and get them to do it. So I was like, oh, is it worth handing that task kind of off yeah. to someone? I know. Yeah, yeah it's, it is. It's kind of like trying to find the balance, isn't it? Yeah. And do you think your dream, would your dream be to be able to do Love Jewels full time or do you do you really like your job and you, you're excited to go back? Um... <laughs> you're like hopefully my employer is not listening and I still have a job after I say <laughs> no like I'm hoping when I go back that I can take a new role because the last the role that I left I had been in for five years yeah so I think a change is as good as a rest you know yeah and so, what 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 were was your career in any way linked to kind of love jewels or did was it in no business? totally different no i originally studied architecture technology um and then there was no jobs in architecture during the last recession so i went working for um i worked in one architect's office for like two years and then the recession hit then i went to another architect's office for another two years and then he just ran out of work so I ended up in um, an engineering office but it's multidisciplinary and they had an architectural department so I was working in the architectural department and then I went back and done my master's in construction informatics so um, I went and set up I got I set up my own department then in the in the 
business um, for building information modeling. So it's where you build 3D models on the computer to effectively analyze the, the performance and the construction of the building before it's built so that you can identify problems before they're identified on site. Ah, if so, I know, yeah, I plan on hopefully building a house, so I'll know who to come to you. I'll be like, tell me how <laughs> might arise. Tell me how to make this as sustainable and cost effective as possible. <laughs> yeah. So that was, I was working, I had, um, so I was the, the department manager doing that for like five years since 2015 until Halloween last year. Yeah. So, um, I mean, they've kept my job open for me. They they got a replacement for a year and I can yeah. go back to my role, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll 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 wait and see. Hopefully we'll we'll get a lovely update from you that you've moved into a um a new role. But yeah, so then Love Jewels was really just a passion project then. It was yeah, it, is. it was just something that had helped you. Love Jewels, yeah, exactly. It was something that it really really helps me and when like so between getting married and setting up like I was at my slimming group for three years and um I just made as gifts little presents for other people for the bracelets and just when I seen how much it was helping other people it just became my passion project then yeah yeah, that's insane. Like you've you've had a hell of a ride. You're one phenomenal woman. That's all I'll say. Like been a busy few years. <laughs> yeah, like you have got married. You've gotten over cancer. Started a business. Like started a department in the company you were working in. So like you know, I think you deserve to kind of have a little rest between now and the second of November when you go back to work. Yeah. So I have lots of things that I have been working on for the last while um, that I really want to wrap up by the end of September for Love Jewels. And then I plan to do the absolute minimal for October and rest up before I go back. Excellent. Yeah. So the next few days are a busy few days just to try and wrap up all the bits I've been working on. Amazing. Yeah. Wow, like I can't, I thought like in general, I was like, oh, I'm quite a busy person, but I'm like, no, you are like, do you, like the fact that you're still kind of, so kind of willing to share your story. And then you started such a simple but yet empowering business based on something that helped you is just like, I think it's phenomenal. Like, so fair play. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I think um, it's, I know it, it, it's very hard work but it's very rewarding work. Yeah, and even like hearing the stories from Love Jewels of the different things you've helped people overcome with the bracelet, I think must be, it's it's kind of nice. It's like a testimonial to, to the bracelet itself. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Now when I get people's insights and feedback on what, they, that, what they're using the bracelet for, like that, it always amazes me, like how, how creative people are and, yeah. you know, how, something so simple can help so many people. It's just, it blows my mind all the time. <laughs> yeah, no, that's amazing. But thank you so much for coming on a second time and oh, yeah. chatting all about your journey. Like it's so, like it's so inspiring. It's so, it's such a kind of wake up call for yeah. people that are younger as well. And hopefully the new kind of tests will, pick, like the full screening will now pick yeah. it up a lot, a lot sooner. Yeah. Main takeaway, go for your HPV screening. 
Yes, um, it's now called cervical screening um, instead of a smear test. Um, so go for your, your cervical screening. And if you have any young people in your life that are younger than the, the age when they get called by the cervical yeah. screening program, just go private. It'll probably cost 80 quid, but it'll be yeah. money well spent. Yeah, because I never would I never would have I never would have thought of going private. Um like never would have thought. I mean never like and even my first because I've only had one, like because you get it at 25 and then I think I get it again at like 30. Is it every five years or something? I'm not too sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think no, I think it's every two years. Is it? Maybe I got it at 26 then. Yeah. Yeah, but anyway, I my first one came back. It was in the middle of the cervical cancer scare, like the big thing. My first one came back inconclusive, and I had a shit attack because they they wouldn't like they were like, oh, it's not bad. It was just that we didn't get enough cells or something, and blah blah blah. And I kept being like, I'm the one in whatever that something has gone wrong, yeah. and I it took so long for them to reschedule. So. I just went back to the clinic that I'd gone to and they just kind of said, if you just come in, regardless of having like a letter for anything, we'll just fit you in and then we'll get it sorted and stuff. But, and like, it doesn't, I remember I was really apprehensive before my first one. I was like, it's going to hurt really bad. It's going to be really weird. It's literally over in a second. Like, Yeah, a couple of seconds over and done. It's embarrassing, it's humiliating, but we get on with it and it's over and done in a couple of seconds. And, you know... It's, it saves you from much more of a humiliation when you have to have a whole team examining you. So, you know. Yeah, you're like when you have to be up in stairs with like everyone kind of having. A few seconds, it's minor in comparison to if you don't, then it turns bad. So, or even know. the experience that you had with that, that the first doctor that you saw before you went to the, the other mm. oncologist, like that, that must have been. Like you're so kind of struck and then just be like, oh, you've cancer, but you'll see the other doctor tomorrow about it. And you're like, yeah. And don't worry, because most women prefer to have a surrogate anyway. So just get a hysterectomy. Yeah, you're going to have a hysterectomy. Oh, what? Yeah. That was the weirdest conversation I've ever had in my life. But it was so blunt. Like it was like, if there was any bedside manner classes in medical school, that doctor <laughs> missed them. Very far off them. But yeah, no, thank you so much. Um, one other thing as well, there is a documentary called I Am Laura Bourne. Oh. Um, and it's about um, a girl who passed away from cervical cancer very, very young, in her 20s. And she didn't get the HPV vaccine and she'd done an awful lot of work to try and educate people. I know there are a lot of parents out there who don't want to give their children the HPV vaccine. And they have their own reasons but it's definitely definitely worth to watch if you're having doubts yeah yeah and I think kind of if you're a parent I think you need to be smart about these things as well if you have a kid who's 16 17 years old and maybe in their early 20s to push them to have that so like don't be in denial about the fact that a child is not sexually active basically and to push them yeah. to go for that private smear because mm -hmm. I think that that's a lot of the time no one wants to think of because because of the link with HPV and because of the link with it being a sexually transmitted no one wants to think about that kind of aspect of it no one wants to consider that that's an element so I think you just kind of need to get over that and if you are younger than 25 or whatever say 26 whatever the state age is for it um 
to just get um get your private smear in the meantime and, and go yeah go definitely do yeah and like I will leave anyway I'll have I'll look up that documentary because I want to watch it myself um but I'll leave it in the show notes anyway for a link to it for anyone yeah. who's interested yeah yeah bring the box of tissues it's absolutely so sad but it's definitely really educating it's worth to watch but it's mad because i it was so weird that obviously because obviously i knew i was chatting with you today but jay goody randomly popped into my head the past few days and yeah. i remember because she obviously documented it all because she was doing a reality tv and she was 24 yeah and like yeah and like it's it seems like it's one of those very preventable cancer because yeah. you can you can actively monitor for a change in like whether H like if you have HPV or anything. So you can yeah. actually kind of monitor for it. Whereas it might be different to something like I don't know, like lung or like mm -hmm. other kind of cancers. Um so yeah, I think I think you just need to kind of do your due diligence and you're you can be a testament to that because you've kind of come out the other side of doing your due even though it's frustrating because you did your due diligence so early but to be hit by it yeah. when you were like 33 yeah 33 it's crazy because i was 30 when i got married and then that happened when i was 33 and yeah i'm 35 now so yeah it's like even now at 25 to already be 18 months over it it's very young to even like you don't even think when you're in your 30s of these kind of things you know that's what i mean like i never would have thought of just can't like you know it's a, it seems like a very far off thing um like i have a lot of kind of like um other kind of diseases that run in my family that i'd be concerned of but i would think of them as like much more down the line kind of things that might might affect me but yeah until as I said like my boyfriend's friend got it I it was never a thing that kind of came into our world so mm. and I think it definitely makes when you speak to someone who has gone through it or you see it happen in your friend group I could definitely tell that it made kind of the guys in the group a lot more hyper vigilant about stuff so yeah yeah so anyone like if anyone's like listening just learn from you even though you were hypervision and just kind of learn and know that especially if you're not going to go get the private screening go for the free screening that you get every three years or so yeah it takes literally i think it took like half an hour out of my day to like travel to the like you can go to basically any gp or clinic that does it go with your letter mm -hmm. they'll make an appointment for you it's really straightforward yeah and just just get it done with and actually you can go on to um there's a website i think it's cervicalcheck.ie and you put in your pps number and it tells you when you're due your next yeah yeah because yeah. i remember i was just very conscious that i was coming up to the age of it and i remember mom was like oh just go in and check because i don't know what date they'll send it out or whatever so yeah, definitely go on and check. And if you have any concerns about anything to do with STDs and stuff, just go to your doctor and talk about them because there are so many that if they develop, like I know um, it doesn't have as, as much probably as an effect as it does on females, but like chlamydia can cause infertility and stuff. So yeah. if left, and it's one that doesn't show symptoms in females. Um, and I think we're very, we need to get better at educating 
younger people about STDs and about just go just to get over the shame and just go and to go get a test if you know you're sexually active just go and do it yeah definitely your health is not worth taking risks yeah no definitely but yeah thank you so much I wish you all the best of luck um thank you I've no doubt I'll be hearing that you now have ninth bead on your bracelet in October yeah <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to another Legal Diaries podcast. Be sure to follow along on all the social media channels at legaldiaries.ie on Instagram, www.legaldiaries.ie and on Twitter, it's legal at legaldiaries underscore IE. Thank you.